If you'll please take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 35 this morning. And as you're turning in your Bibles, let me take uh, this opportunity to, to recognize a uh, special family. The Dugans have, uh, at least Valerie and the girls, have made their way. And for many of you, you've been praying for Valerie as she is uh, struggled with her breast cancer, and uh, she continues to uh, fight the battle, and so we continue. So uh, it's good to see Valerie and to be able to give her a hug, and the girls and uh, all the boys had to remain uh, up up in Georgia, but um, so grateful. So please take the opportunity to, to love on her and uh, tell her uh, how much you appreciate her and continue to pray for her uh, as you have the opportunity uh, this morning. Proverbs 3, verses 13 through 35, the author of Proverbs um, has been telling us to seek wisdom in the first few chapters. But now in chapter 3, he's telling us the reason why we should seek wisdom. What is the value that we get in having wisdom? So before Amazon, uh, before uh, eBay and all of these different things where you could go online and you could find and make and create a wish list of things that you want. Back in the day, um, those who were older uh, used to have to get uh, Sears or JCPenney catalogs. And you would get those in your, in my family, each child got a different uh, marker, a different color marker, and you would have to go through that uh, catalog and you would have to circle the toys that you wanted uh, for Christmas or your birthday or whatever it might be. And so that's a dangerous thing to let a child have a catalog and a marker um, because those things tended to, to get circled quite often. And then I would hand the catalog back to my parents and they would say, they would take the time to look through it. Um, and they would come back and say, well, now, Jeffrey, that's great that you want 60 different toys for Christmas, but what are the ones that you really want for Christmas? What are the ones that you value most of all? And so I would have to narrow it down, obviously. Well, the author of Proverbs is asking us, what do we value more than anything And for him, he's telling us the greatest thing that we should value is wisdom. And what we know from scripture is wisdom is equal to having Christ. And so he's telling us we should value above everything in all the earth, Jesus. And so we will be looking this morning to how the value of Christ or wisdom, what does he do to us? And then how does he expect wisdom in Christ to live through us? So we'll be going through this passage this morning. So let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, this is your word. And Father, this passage speaks very, very much about Jesus Christ, who is the word. And so Father, we ask that you would... Teach us, give us eyes to see and hearts to understand the truth of your word this morning. May we desire to have you enrich our lives with wisdom. And Lord, may we enrich others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this we pray in Christ's name, 
Amen. So if you look, we're going to be splitting this up into sections. And so the first point is the value of wisdom to us. And so we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 26, but we're going to take them one step at a time. So the first thing we see is that wisdom enriches our lives. And this is verses 13 through 18. Now, how do we know that we're supposed to split verses 13 through 18? Well, if you look in your Bibles, you will see the word blessed. So it says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom. And then in verse 18, it ends with the words, those who hold fast are called blessed. So these are paragraph markers, in essence. And what he's saying to us is the understanding of blessed in this case means happy. Happy are the ones who find Christ because their lives will be enriched. Matthew 13 verses 44 through 46 says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and bides that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. See, it's the thing that we should desire greater, listen, greater than all riches. So we have this understanding that we will be happy if we seek after Christ more than anything in this earth. And once we have it, will we then try to hold on to it? Not just wisdom for the moment, because there are fools who can be wise in a moment. But what this is calling us to do is to become wise people in all situations. And so as we become wise, as we gain Christ in our lives, he says this should be greater than any riches that we might find in the world. So here's the reality. Don't aim at money. Don't aim at money. Bruce Walkey, one of my professors, gave this quote. Money can put food on the table, but it's wisdom that puts laughter around the table. Money can buy a house, but wisdom makes it a home. Money can buy a woman jewelry, but wisdom wins her heart. See, wisdom and having Christ means that we are living life well. We're living life well in all situations. And listen, wisdom will help make the money that's right for us. If we're seeking after wisdom, then we will have the right amount of money. Whether it's little or whether it's great. And so we have this understanding that, again, as we seek after wisdom, then he gives us, um, he enriches our life. He gives greater things than riches, but then he also gives life. And we find this in, in the verses where it talks about the tree of life. Now, the tree of life is only mentioned three times in the Bible. It's mentioned in Genesis. It's mentioned here in Proverbs, and it's mentioned in Revelation. Now, in the tree of life, back in the garden, in Genesis 3.22, it talks about the tree giving immortality. And so what God does is when Adam and Eve fell into sin, he then does what? He kicks them out of the garden. 
Now, I, I want you to understand, that's not God being mean. That is God being gracious. And here's why he's being gracious. Because if Adam and Eve, in sin, had went and ate of the tree of life at that point, they would have been forever found themselves in the midst of sin. So God, in his mercy, kicks Adam and Eve out of the garden so that they might not eat of the tree of life. Until we find the tree of life in who? Christ. And Christ is the one who pays for our sins. So in essence, God is now saying to us, come back to paradise. In Christ, come back to to paradise because wisdom leads to Jesus. Remember, Jesus uses these words. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. And so he says, come back to paradise. Come back to a right relationship. Walk in communion with God. And so we understand that that wisdom or Christ enriches our lives. He should be the thing that we value most in all the world. The second thing this passage tells us about wisdom is that wisdom is a part of creation. And it's a part of the things that are created. Look at verses 19 and 20. For it says here that again, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth by understanding he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. So the first thing that we see is that God was a part of creation. Jesus was there. And as he was created, he created all things to his glory. All things. And so we see this by the passage where it says, earth and the heavens. He's saying everything was created for the glory of God. And so it should become for us the foundation and meaning for the universe. So we don't sit here and worry about the Big Bang Theory. Don't, we don't sit here and worry about um, things that happen within science because God is the creator of science. And so he created the universe to work in a specific way. And we understand that. Microwaves have a specific purpose. So if you put in, say, Taco Bell packets, and you try to warm up your sauce because you've had them in the refrigerator, you are in for a big surprise. Because they will explode. Because that's not the intent and purpose of the microwave. God has given to us the purpose of creation. And all of creation is to glorify and honor the Lord. But he not only creates, but he also sustains all things. He did not just wind the clock and then let us live unto ourselves. He sustains all things again, even though sin has affected creation. What do you think things are that God does in regards to his world? He's always trying to fix what we're messing up. He uses everything about wonder, power, and the glory of God to show us that we are not in control. No army can fight against, listen, the wind of a hurricane, the floods of rivers, 
the fire that comes down from the lightning bolts. We can't contend. God is greater than all things. So the question for us is, do we trust that creator? Here's what Hebrews chapter 1 verses 10 through 12 says. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, but like a robe you will roll them up, and like a garment they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. So everything about creation seeks to glorify and honor Christ. And the last thing in this, that part of the section is that wisdom gives confidence. Verses 21 through 26. And here's where it talks about having good sleep and having life and not being afraid. But why? Why would we have that confidence? Well, the first thing it says is that Christ brings life to your soul. For those of you who are a Christian, you remember, um, if it wasn't a gradual period, and I know a lot of you have said, well, I don't know when I became a Christian. That's good news. But there are some in here who can remember the day and the hour or the moment of which, at which point you knew that Christ grabbed onto your heart and changed you forever. And when I talk to people, they always, it's an overwhelming, it's, it's joy. And so that is the thing that comes to our soul. It's the overwhelming joy and it gives us life. And as we have that life, he says our sleep will be sweet. Now let's ask the question, why would you have unrest in sleep? Okay, there's a couple of things. One is if you do foolish things. Say you cheated on a test or a paper or heaven forbid you, like me, um, did, a, <laughs> did a book study on a book that wasn't even created. So I knew enough information about Thomas Jefferson, and I did a book report on Thomas Jefferson, but there was no book that I read on Thomas Jefferson that gave me that information. For, so for a couple of days, I had unrest. Because I was begging, please, God, don't let the teacher go to the library and find out that there is no book that I have named on Thomas Jefferson. So you don't have rest when you do foolish things. You don't have unrest when you're also afraid. You're scared. You're overwhelmed by the world. You're you're anxious. You have thoughts of, I can't handle this. Christ comes in, he says, you can be secure in your sleep. One, by not having to make foolish mistakes. There were times where I had to, once I became a Christian, go back to teachers and tell them I had cheated on things, knowing full well that they could take away my degree. But because of Christ and his restitution and his welling up within me the desire to go back and fix the things that I had done wrong, it allowed me to sleep well. And I also don't have to be scared of the unknown. 
Again, we, we talk to people, and especially people that are in the military, people that get sent to the front. And a lot of times people get kind of uh, worked up about that. Oh, they're in harm's way. We're always in harm's way. We're never outside of God's mercy and love and his overseeing of us. So we're as safe on the battlefield as we are here in the United States. But we should rest secure in that, knowing that God has all the things taken care of. And so he leads in that, but he's also, the Lord is our confidence. The scripture tells us he is our companion. And here, I don't want you to think of him as an impersonal force. He's not, the force will be with you. Wisdom is the living God. It is Jesus Christ incarnate with us, which means he never leaves or forsakes us. Never. Romans 8 says this, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The question to us is do we believe that? Do we trust that Jesus really is enriching our lives, that he is greater than any treasure we could ever get in this world? Do we believe that he has created and sustains all things to his glory and to his good? Are we truly grasping and understand that we can have sweet sleep because he is always there to protect us and to guide us and to lead us and to sustain us. So that's what God does to us through Christ. But then the passage switches to another aspect of it and it starts to say, how does wisdom work through us? So God works to us through Christ, but now he talks to, and asks us to start working wisdom out to other people. And we start seeing it in this verse 27 through the end of the chapter. And the first thing he does is wisdom should be something that helps others. Verses 27 through 28. Because he tells us, don't withhold anything that your friend or your neighbor should have. Now, I want you to, to, to understand this. When we talk about withholdings... It's not saying you are told to give something that you don't have. That's not what God is saying. What God is saying, what we have, we should give it away. Now, I want you to think about this from this perspective in regards to help. You should ask the question, do we love people the way that God loves us? Graciously. See, the world talks about, I live where I don't hurt other people. Well, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not destroying anybody. I'm not letting my dog do its business in other people's yards. I'm not cutting my tree down and letting it fall on their house. I'm not scratching their cars with my keys. I'm not doing anything to hurt other people. But what God calls us to do is beyond that. He's saying it's not just don't hurt other people. He says, what good am I giving to other people? 
See, that's very different. How can I not just not let my dog do his business, but how can I go and minister to those neighbors that are around me? Maybe I should cut their yard. Maybe I should trim their trees. Maybe I should make them a meal. Maybe I should wash their car. Maybe I should invite them over for more than just a talk outside of the garages. And maybe they should actually see the inside of the house and not just the outside. See, God calls us to do good to all people. We're supposed to be building a culture of life. A culture of life around us. And so he says, hey, don't withhold the things that your neighbor deserves. Give what you can in all goodness away. The second thing he says that we're to do with our wisdom as Christ lives through us is we are to protect our neighbor. Verses 29 through 30. Listen to this. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. And do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Now, again, there's always times for us uh, to get upset with neighbors. And it doesn't have to be your direct neighbors, but it could be, um, again, the way that the Bible talks about it. Who is your neighbor? Anyone that we come across. We know that from the Good Samaritan story. The religious people walk by. It's the Samaritan, the one who should never have done anything, is the one who becomes the neighbor. And so again, we get this understanding that we should be creating an atmosphere because, listen, trust is what builds a community. If I don't trust the people beside me, then it puts you always in a state of second guessing, right? Hey, this person said this to me, but... I don't really believe it. Hey, I'm going on vacation, but I'm not going to tell my neighbors to keep my eye and uh, the eye on my house because now that they know I'm gone, maybe they're going to use that time to come in and steal from me. Maybe they're going to use that time to move the fence line, maybe even just a couple of inches. If there's no trust, if there's no platform where real relationships happen, then it becomes a place where nobody is being protected. And so what happens is we find ourselves dealing with friendly fire, right? This is during the war where people get hit by their own men. And a lot of times we are the ones who are the people who are the most fault-finding critical people. Why are we always looking for the bad or the wrong about the people around us? Why are we not looking for the good or the things they did right? When I talked to, to Johnny Dewey, the, the guy over in Northern Ireland, he's always made this quote. He says, let's find what is right with Bally Sally, this, this place filled with drugs and, and bad things over there. They've made uh, documentaries of it about how bad the neighborhood is. And he says, why don't we quit, start putting that stuff out there and start finding what's right with Bally Sally? And why would we do that? Because Christ, listen, Christ forgave us while we were still sinners. He didn't say get fixed up. He didn't say get clean. He didn't say, hey, become perfect and then I'll spend time with you. Christ forgave us while we were still sinners. Because he loves us. 
And so we are to protect one another, not throw each other under the bus. So we need to create an atmosphere where we help one another, we protect one another. And then the third and last thing is it says wisdom honors. Wisdom wisdom honors, verses 31 through 35. Listen to the word. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious persons is an abomination to the Lord. But the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Towards the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. And the wise will inherit honor, but the fool gets disgrace. See, he splits it up and he says, these are the people that are an abomination to me. And he starts off by saying, men of violence. Now the reality is, according to the world standard, these people seem to have success. These are people who have wealth. These are people who seem to have um, places of business and power. But the reality is, these people are always with a statement of, my things, my business, my money, my time, my efforts, my, mine, mine. It's always for those who seek to do violence to others. And what God does is God comes and he says, it should always be about this is God's. This is God's. This is God's. This is God's. And so they seem to be men of violence who seem to be successful. And they're also people who are devious and wicked. They seek to destroy others. But God is the one who defends. See, what was the problem with the Holocaust? What's the things that we quote very often? All the things that for evil to to happen and to continue is for good people to do nothing. See, a lot of times we as Christians simply become bystanders or spectators. I can't say that in public. Because I might lose my job. I can't do this because I don't want to get noticed. Have you noticed our society has gotten worse? Just listen to talk radio. Look at the society around you. There are more and more people underground who are saying, I agree with that, but I would never say that in public. Because we're so afraid. And God says, don't look to those people. Because they are an abomination to what God wants to do. And he also says, there are those who are scorners and fools. A scorner is one who knows the truth and doesn't do it. And a fool doesn't know any better. So they find themselves coming to disgrace. Now God then switches and he says there are people that he does honor. He said those that are upright and righteous. Now get this very clearly. Being close to Jesus Christ is better, is better than having everything in the world. Being close to Christ 
is better than anything and everything in the world. And he says, we might understand that there is a struggle. And let's be honest, there is a struggle sometimes when we look at people who are successful and we're saying, they're not being judged. They're doing dishonest things. They're doing things that are wrong. Or sometimes we think that God's timing's not right. Scripture's full of that. Remember Abraham and Sarah? God promises you're going to have a child. Sarah laughs. Abraham lies about his wife multiple times. And then they try to fix it for God. Hey, God, you couldn't do it your way, so we're going to fix it for you. So Abraham's going to have a child with Hagar. We see how that ended up. We're still fighting that battle. We're still in the Middle East. When we try to fix things for God, we mess it up. And God tells us, be still and know that he is God. Wait patiently for his timing, for his timing is perfect. Is that hard? Yes. Yes. Are there people in here we want healed now? Yes, today. So why does God tarry? I don't know. I'm not God. And for some reason, God says, Jeff, you don't need to know. But he tells me to trust. He tells me to be upright and righteous. He tells me to live a life where I'm humble. Where wisdom, we know, has its rewards. Do we believe that wisdom or Jesus can be trusted? In all things. In the little things as well as the big things. Do we believe that Christ can be trusted? Because the way that we live our life is a choice between honor and dishonor. So the passage, again, tells us very clearly that God brings wisdom, Christ, to us. And he enriches our lives. He creates and sustains all of creation. He allows us to sleep in comfort and have great confidence in the the companion of Jesus Christ. But then he gives to us the opportunity to go forth to our neighbors and to say, I'm here to help you. I'm here to point you back to Jesus and to make your life better because you have me as a friend. I will protect you. I will lead you back into places of honor. And I will be upright and righteous and humble before you. So the question for us is, again, what do we value the most? What do we value? The things of the world? Or is it Jesus Christ? It's your choice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you that you have given to us your living word. And his name is Jesus Christ. And Father, as he has conquered sin and death, but not only that, he has given to us the Comforter and the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. And for those that are Christian, the battle rages on for we struggle, as the Apostle Paul told us, the things we want to do, we don't. And the things we shouldn't do, we do.
So, Father, give us that desire to value Jesus more than anything, that we would want to give him all glory and honor, that we would have our joy found in Jesus alone and not here in the world. So, Lord, let us be that wisdom. Let us live out Christ before those around us that we might help them, protect them, and that we might honor them the way that Christ has honored us. So be with us now as we go our separate ways to go out and to be restored and renewed by our relationship with Christ, but then to go out and to change the world with the message of the gospel. For this we pray in Christ's name and all God's people said, Amen.